Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. So having some of those tools in place may be a good idea for your brand if you don't. I also think empathy can never be overstated. And there is a lot of power in empathy and two words, I'm sorry, authenticity and being real, owning it, like you said, if it is a crisis situation that the brand needs to own, just being real, authentic, taking responsibility and and demonstrating real empathy for the people it may have hurt. Welcome listeners to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Kelly Fletcher, CEO of Fletcher Marketing PR, and I'm joined by my colleague, Fletcher Senior Strategist, Mary Beth West, otherwise known as a rock star. <laughs> oh, really? Is that, uh, is that my new title? It is today. Are going to put it on my business card? Uh, I, I'm, yeah, I'll take you, it. You haven't done anything to piss me off lately. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, you're one of the few and not the many. <laughs> Uh, my reputation precedes me, but Kelly, it's great to join you. As always, we're about to enter, of course, the holiday season. Cannot believe it's already upon us. And it's uh, nice to have a time of family gathering that's upcoming where we actually can gather this year as opposed to last year. Yes, it really makes you thankful for the things in life you took for granted yes. before the pandemic. And I'm really looking forward to um, being in my home state of North Carolina with my family this year. So we're continuing to live in a time that's fairly chaotic, though. There's lots of more questions than answers still, I feel like, is is where we are. And it looks like we're absorbed with this new level of chaos from the past two years as kind of our new normal. And any new crisis that hits is just another day at the office. It is. Well, Um, in our world in particular, given the business that we're in. Absolutely. But with that being said, I wanted to have a chat today to revisit this matter of crisis planning, preparedness, and response, stemming from other issues that have been covered in the news in the recent weeks and months. Sometimes we like to pull a few current events out of the hat and talk about them, evaluate them. Well, I think it is a good time of year to talk about planning. You know, it's just sort of like this conversation we just recently had with Chad Hatmaker over at Wolf McLean. He was, I think, his top advice for all of his legal clients and just the business community at large going into next year is have a plan. (laughs) And uh, that is just one of the things that we urge clients and prospective clients so much is that, especially in this context that we're now in of think about your top scenarios of potential crisis issues that could hit your company and have some type of not just an operational idea in place, but also a communications idea in place as to how you would respond and just not be caught flat-footed. I just think it's such a good discussion to have. And for our listeners, I want to share some data from my friends at the Ethics and Compliance Initiative in Washington, D.C. that's tied to this looming crisis, tied to the pandemic fallout. And I really encourage everybody to look at the ECI global business ethics survey that they do every year. And interestingly, ECI as an organization, they have the URL ethics.org. So they're very easy to find, but they have collected through a longitudinal study data from employees in 10 countries, at least that many. I think they're going to expand how many countries they do in the future. 
that basically captures how much employees at various companies are reporting misconduct. Like if they observe misconduct happen within their organization, how much are they actually reporting what they see? And to what extent are they experiencing retaliation as a result of that? And so and just reading some from the, the study that's been done over the past 20 years, and, and I'm reading from ECI, the reporting of misconduct has been steadily increasing. In 2020, 86% of U.S. employees said they reported every or some of the behavior they observed in general, which was an increase in 17 percentage points since 2017, which is fairly significant. But what's even more significant to me is that retaliation rates have skyrocketed. So management teams don't like getting bad news. It's sort of a let's kill the messenger situation. I've certainly experienced this in some of you know the, the trade organization that I've been involved in or formerly was involved in for a lot of years. And so I'm really passionate about this issue. I'll read a little bit of more data here from ECI. They've been tracking employee perceptions of retaliation due to the reporting of misconduct since 2007. And since that time, retaliation has been increasing with a jump from 22 percent back in 2013 to 44 percent in 2017. And then in 2020, just last year, the rate of retaliation against employees for reporting wrongdoing in the U.S. was 79 percent in 2020, an increase of 35 percentage points. That is astounding. It really is. And, you know, you think about issues that have been so pervasive in business and culture and society. Me Too, for example, the Me Too movement and these issues of sexual harassment in the workplace. And the fact that I've mentioned, I think, before on the podcast about Ronan Farrow's reporting and his right. podcast that he has launched and then also the, the the programming on HBO where he interviewed women with the Harvey Weinstein issue and what they went through from a overt retaliation standpoint in the industry. And of course, Rose McGowan and her story, you know, whether it's a sexual harassment issue or whether it's other kinds of like could be financial malfeasance, it could be something that a company is doing operationally that could pollute the environment or endanger lives of employees or members of a community. I mean, all of these things are so important for companies to have the ethics and the backbone to face up to if a member of the management team is doing something wrong. And so as ECI reports, and I'll this is a quote from their report, if left unaddressed, High rates of retaliation can erode ethical culture and undermine efforts to encourage employees to speak up and raise concerns. And I don't know, I, I just had to kick off our discussion here in talking about that from a data driven perspective, because I think this data is so indicative of what we may now be looking at on the back end of the pandemic having occurred because a lot of this is pandemic driven because employers have had to change their workplace setups. A lot of employees working from home or other types of new workplace scenarios where there's just not the level of supervision, perhaps. And a lot of management teams, the ones who are supposed to be minding the store, some of them are off on their own and not doing things by the book or they've 
severely changed a lot of the policies and procedures. And, you know, I think we're seeing a lot of that play out. And as a result, we've got to plan better. I think it's good news that employees are speaking up more and calling out whatever they see within their organizations that is wrong or needs to be looked at. The retaliation thing is really interesting to me because I have this theory about the COVID crazy epidemic because I've personally witnessed some business owners and leaders just act a little crazy since COVID. And I don't know. Emotional knee-jerk reactions. And I wonder, I'm sure this all plays into the impact on mental health that COVID has had. But to see that retaliation number rise 35% during the pandemic to me says that is probably tied to mental well-being and that some leaders and managers and business owners have been pushed to their absolute max to the stress, you know, standpoint. And they just, they flip out. Like they've lost their emotional intelligence or there's just, there's something going on. I, I, I've seen it and I just label it the COVID crazy epidemic. Right, <laughs> but it, right. there, it's just, there's too much of it going on for it not to be interrelated somehow. And so what this means when it comes to crisis and crisis planning is this can create real crisis as an organization because if somebody who is a whistleblower, maybe you're not even a whistleblower, maybe you're just bringing something to the attention of a leader and they retaliate and that employee goes to the media or goes to the court of public opinion on social media and talks about it then this company has a huge crisis on their hands. Right. And that's why we're talking about this. Well, it's interesting when you think about like the Theranos trial is going on right now and you think about the horrible negative consequences to public health that Theranos had by ginning up that they had technology that worked in blood testing technology and Elizabeth Holmes and just her manner of managing basically a big lie. She was a master manipulator. Exactly. And we see that happen on occasion, not very, not so much at the scale that her case played out, but we're seeing these things occur. And there were numerous whistleblowers within Theranos. Many of them are testifying now, but what they had to deal with from a threat standpoint, not only to their professional reputations, but to their livelihoods, And I'm sure some of them really worried about their safety in the context of a lot of that. We in public relations have got to be a moral center for our management teams about not engaging in knee-jerk, retaliatory behaviors and even just perceived decisions that lend the impression that, number one, we have something to hide, Right. Uh, Because, you know, misconduct (laughs) is going. Well, and even if misconduct has occurred, I mean, companies are human enterprises and you're always going to have issues or incidents of a mistake having been made or just a bad decision. But you have to own up to it and you have to confront it firsthand. The answer is never to kill the messenger. Right. The answer is never to just dig into a culture where you know, wrongdoing is covered up and it just because it becomes a house of cards and there's a domino effect to all of that. 
anyway, I, I just had to share some of that data because, and, and we can share more. I'll probably be writing another blog post about it. I've written several blog posts on the PRCA website, the Public Relations and Communications Association site, about some of these issues. I, I just did a blog post on the Enron scandal from 20 years ago and all of the systemic change with Sarbanes-Oxley that right. occurred from that, Regulation FD, that all occurred during that time to try to shore up corruption. But wh- where has that left us in the wake of communications technology and social media, you know, nowadays? You know, you ha- even have the social media platforms that are arguably engaged in, in a lot of corruption, like the Facebook exposés from right. the Wall Street Journal that just came out. So it's just a maelstrom of what we in PR are having to deal with. And so I thought it would be a good idea for us to look at some of the issues and incidents lately that have been in the news, whether regionally or nationally, and just to give another taste of some of the the types of issues that can come up out of nowhere and that companies need to be thinking about in terms of what could happen to them. So several of these, let's look at what happened, what's been the response thus far, and has there clearly been a plan or not? So kicking off the first one, the University of Tennessee Ole Miss situation. Right. Well, I'll take that one because I was at the game. And for those of you who are listening across the country or maybe even around the world, because we do have international listeners, we are headquartered in Knoxville, Tennessee. Most of our business is from here, Atlanta, Florida. I mean, we've got clients from all over, but we are a Southern-based company. And in the South, we have the Southeastern Conference, which is the SEC football, our division. And it is a huge part of Southern culture in the states that we operate in, in Tennessee, Georgia, and Florida. So the University of Tennessee played Ole Miss, and there was an incident with 54 seconds left to go. It was a very charged, heated game. Close game, yeah. Very close game. Very emotional game. We expected it to be. It was a night game. So there were, you know, a lot of inebriated people at the game. And they sell a lot of alcohol at the games now up until the end of the third quarter. Which, which wasn't always the case. Which I wasn't mean, this, always the this case. Is always, this is just in recent years, they've started uh, yes. selling beer. So what happened is with 54 seconds left, there was a questionable call by the officials and one section in particular of the stadium, which I was sitting very close to, started throwing water bottles, all kinds of debris, beer cans, golf balls, balls, uh, mustard (laughs) bottle, and delayed the game for 18 minutes. And during that 18 minutes, here's what concerned me, because I'm I'm standing there as a PR person. Yeah, and you're there. Witnessing this yeah. in real time. And I, let me just say that I have probably at least a half dozen good friends at the University of Tennessee who work in PR. I don't think any of them are in the athletic department right now. And so I'm not throwing the UT PR team under the bus. However... I did not understand why for 18 minutes, the only thing that happened to calm that situation down was the announcer saying, please refrain from throwing debris on the field. There were 18 minutes where more action could have been taken to calm the crowd. And I wondered, does the you know, UT football in particular, because you got 105, 6,000 people there, have a crisis plan that looks at every potential threat. And debris throwing 
is a threat to the safety. Of, you know, the cheerleaders had to go off the field. The band had to go off the field because they were getting hit with debris. The visiting team was getting hit with debris. So I wondered, was that a crisis that there was ever planned for? Because there should have been a call tree. There should have been somebody in charge of making a final decision, an influencer, other than the announcer with the voice from nowhere, an influencer should have been out on the field making an appeal to those people. And there should have been key messages in place. You are hurting the reputation of our university. You are endangering people's health and well-being on your own team, your band, your cheerleaders. We could face sanctions. We could face a fine. Stop. Stop. I think Donde Plowman, who's the chancellor, did a great job by tweet. She tweeted during right. the incident and was very proactive with a statement saying that you know she was going to be calling the chancellor Ole Miss Sunday morning to apologize. I think Donde Plowman should have been on the field. Yeah. And or others. Kind and of a, or kind others of a united front. in leadership. The leadership of UT should have been on the field with a microphone. There should have been an influencer. I thought they should have let uh, Sterling Hinton, the former UT quarterback, who they had out there after the third quarter, you know, rallying the crowd. Everybody knows Sterling. They love him. They respect him. Let him get out there with the microphone and say, hey, this is not how we act at the University of Tennessee. Stop. I think maybe the students would have listened to him, but nothing happened. And as a result, um, UT faced a $250,000 fine. They're still under investigation. They have to come up with a plan for how they're going to address this. They have to come up with an assessment of alcohol sales. I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into this. And we damaged, and I'm not a UT grad, but I lived in Knoxville for 23 years. We damaged the reputation of the university and the city, and it only took 18 minutes. And that was a critical 18 minutes where I feel like an earlier intervention and communication plan could have been deployed and had a chance. I'm not saying 100%, but had a chance to change the outcome. I think that's a really good point. And part of the issue of this that stood out to me is that in in this day and age, if you wait 30 minutes, you could be too late to respond correctly. It was already a crisis on social media immediately. Well, of course, yes. And the next day, and actually that night, there was widespread national media coverage. Of oh, it. That's it all made anyone national was talk- news. Yeah, that anyone was talking about. No one saw the good things that happened, which it was an incredible game. That 18 minutes felt like 18 hours. And it, there, it was a huge missed opportunity. Right, right. And it does go to show that when there are these issues that occur, these are learning opportunities for the rest of us. Absolutely. And we need to take note of that. Like you, I was very glad that Dondi Plowman did, Chancellor Plowman did make a statement on social media, which I, I felt was good for her to make. However, to your point, more could have been done in the moment, physically on site. And I guarantee you, whoever the PR person was didn't have control because a lot of times we get pushed down and we're not given the power. We're not given the authority to make the calls in a situation like that. And we should be. Right. Because that's what we're trained to do. Let us do our jobs. Right. Well, and I think the knee jerk reaction is particularly in academic cultures. A lot of times is it is more of a glacial pace 
response and the factory default setting for management is very often a, if we don't acknowledge it, it's not happening. Or if we don't. It was get, happening we, on national yeah, television. I know, I know, but it's still a mindset. It's like if we acknowledge that something bad is happening right in front of us, then it's like a weakness or something. I think there's just sort of this mentality that goes into, and I'm not just, you know, dogging higher education cultures. It's, I think a lot of these bureaucratic types of, cultures do have that mindset that we can't admit that something bad has happened or is happening. We are, it's like an admission of failure or admission of guilt, or even if it's clear that what's happening is something that's within their purview. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I think this is a really good case to just to look at something that has happened just in our own backyard and, but the one that gained a lot of national media coverage. So just as another example, and this is a completely different example that um, I unearthed in, in some social media in recent weeks was there was an influencer known as Latif Saka, and that's L-A-T-E-E-F-S-A-K-A, who is an influencer and had been working apparently with a PR agency. And he had a very negative experience that, that completely played out on social and let me just read the first tweet that he put forward on October 3rd, 2021. He says, so a PR agency forgot to take me off an email. They proceed to call me arrogant and unprofessional. They also said, quote, doesn't he know everyone in the industry talks, end quote. All I said is, I don't work for free. I don't want to collaborate on Black History Month events. And this individual is a uh, influencer of color. So and then goes on with a thread about everything that he experienced in dealing with this PR team who apparently forgot to take him off of an email that was sort of either dogging his participation in a campaign that they were doing or, you know, just some other issues. This is a scenario that I've seen play out so many times. And I I think very often you see on Twitter in particular journalists, for example, who receive bad pitches or who receive bad treatment from a PR person or a PR firm airing that out in public and sometimes calling out names. This uh, particular gentleman opted not to, to do that in his reporting of what occurred in his case. But I think that that's another example of where a PR firm or someone uh, in your team makes a mistake. Clearly, if they were going to have a dialogue that he should not have been privy to, they should have deleted him off of that thread, but a mistake was made. Sometimes you just end up with egg on your face and you have to have a response to that. Well, I don't know if they did respond, but rule number one, check who you're sending the email to. I mean, that's a very easy way to avoid a crisis. Mm -hmm. And you do have to pay attention to that. I mean, you could you could accidentally have a reporter on an email thread or a client on an email thread that oh, you didn't want to see. Oh, I had that issue see. happen years ago. I... <laughs> I made an errant email that there was uh, some there was a, a an actual listserv that was in a CC line for something we were I was uh, dealing with a client on a employee job posting and I was just I was it, it got sent out and it and it went not just to one person but to many 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 people and you know it was just a human error right issue and I immediately called the client to tell them what happened, I immediately called uh, a particular individual who was impacted from the communication, alerted them, make sure made sure that they I wanted them to hear it from me, 
that I made a mistake. I owned up to it. I was very embarrassed and very, you know, disappointed in myself that I made a mistake. But the the main thing was to, you know, own up own to it. it and be transparent and disclose what occurred so that people wouldn't be caught off guard right. as to what occurred. Right. So it's just one of those things that can happen. Well, listeners, the key takeaway here is that crises are going to happen. We actually have a whole, as we try to, when we work on a crisis communication plan with the client, we try to imagine every possible crisis scenario. And since the COVID pandemic and also the the social justice movement, we've added a whole entire, like, additional list of crises that we project and come up with a plan for every single scenario that you can think of. I mean, there's always going to be something that happens that you would have never in a million years thought could happen. And it's never a matter of if, but when. And so we have just like six points of advice here. If you're in communications planning, if you are an executive who is um, responsible for communication you got to plan ahead. Like like I said, that's part of our price process working with clients is to imagine all the crisis categories, break them down and have literally a line by line, step by step plan that can be put into action in a matter of minutes for every possible scenario. Well, and uh, knowing what those categories need to be is the first part of the of, I think, what that challenge is for a lot of companies that have diverse areas of risk. But I think regardless of what the scenario is, you have to, as a number two point here, know your operations and communications chain of command. You need to know when you are facing a situation in real time that actually qualifies as a, quote, crisis. I think that's where a lot of response efforts get derailed immediately is that management didn't take it seriously enough. (laughs) And I think that these two examples that we just shared or some of the other examples that we've shared fall into that category. There is this ostrich with its head in the sand, knee jerk reaction that management teams, I think, have a lot of times they think, oh, this will just blow over. And even thinking about that chain of command for off hours communication, you know, what does the call tree look like? What is the communication tree? Who's going to take charge? Of right. The, of the it's crisis. a leadership and issue for it's sure. It's a leadership issue. So you've got to plan proactively. You've got to react swiftly and visibly. Right. You know, waiting even a couple hours can have dire consequences for your brand. Right. And that's that's to the point of the the UT example for yeah. you know it's eighteen uh, minutes. Dire consequences. Could more have been done to calm that situation? Right. And that dovetails right into the fourth recommendation. Understand the real-time expectations of your stakeholders. You have to know who your audiences are, and you have to know just intuitively and instinctively what level of scrutiny they are applying to the situation and what they are perceiving of you if you fail to act or if you make an errant decision. So, you know, know your audience. Well, and there are all kinds of tools, too, that you can subscribe to. So in real time, you can see what's being said about your brand. You can watch the change in sentiment. You can get the overall key messages that are being said out there in the social media world where everything happens in the blink of an eye. Right. So having some of those tools in place may be a good idea for your brand if you don't. I also think empathy can never be 
mm-hmm. overstated. And there is a lot of power in empathy and two words. I'm sorry. Authenticity and being real, owning it, like you said, if it is a crisis situation that the brand needs to own, just being real, authentic, taking responsibility and and demonstrating real empathy for the people it may have hurt. Right. I find it's always remarkable to what extent the public will forgive misconduct or a bad decision if they feel like they weren't lied to about exactly. it. That's where the the rubber meets the road on that is that once you start going down a path of after the fact, you clearly tried to engage in a cover up or tried to deceive or mislead. That's where people they, they just don't have the latitude for forgiveness like they would otherwise. Right. And the final piece of advice, demonstrate you're taking action. Make sure people see that. And again, just avoid this. Sometimes the inclination is to just wait, 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 and just burn some Hope time. Hope it goes away. Yeah. You've, you cannot do that. That cannot be your immediate reaction to that. So Kelly, these are, I think these are great tips. We'll put these out on the blog as well at Fletcher Marketing PR. And thanks for joining me to share these ideas. I think they're, hopefully they can help a lot of people going forward as they plan for the year ahead. And I I do have one closing thought when it comes to crisis communications. My motto is people will make up what you don't tell them. So the faster you tell them and the more honest you are, the less reputation damage you're going to suffer. You're absolutely correct on that. So to our listeners, we are thankful for you. We wish you all the best as soon as we uh, we're coming out of the 2021 year here. And we thank you for supporting the misinterpreted PR podcast by Fletcher marketing PR. Do please follow us at uh, Twitter handle Fletcher PR. You can also follow Kelly at Twitter handle KD Fletcher and me at Mary Beth West. And a special thanks to to our sound engineer, Chris Hill with Knoxville-based HumblePod. He's a new dad for the second time. Congratulations, Chris. We love you. We appreciate you. And thanks for tuning in, everyone. Until next time. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted, Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time.